Blog Talk Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage, huh?
finished with this, we'll live in a world where no one goes to jail for a plant. I got a lot to cover today, and I'm going to actually try to cut out a little early today because we've got a fundraiser event that we're uh, going to try to attend on time. And uh, I think Lanny Swerdlow is supposed to be calling in to talk about that. You know, our uh, intro song, The Beat Goes On, I, um, kind of a long song, and it gives me a minute to think about the direction that I want to take this show. As you can probably guess, I don't spend a whole lot of time preparing for this show. I do spend a lot of time making sure that we have some good guests and we have some good topics and I go through the week jotting down little ideas of things that I think are important to discuss. But this is a very organic show. It was always designed to be a show that was honest and not scripted. Um, went to all kinds of headaches with previous incarnations of the show because people tried to script it out and dictate what was going to be said. And That's not how things are. But the beat does go on. And... I think I got a, I don't know, a little epiphany about that concept or what I could bring to it today. There's a lot of things happening right now that a lot of people are working towards and have been for many years and generations and all the way probably since the first person was ever oppressed. There was a notion that freedom is more important than your attempting to oppress me. And I think from the very beginning, from the very first people that oppressed the very first people, I think there's been a resistance and there's been a fight to restore the freedom that we all should have and, and, and have a right to. And there's been people constantly making an effort and moving forward and making sacrifices and doing what it takes to get things done. When I was in Canada last week, or a week and a half ago, I went to the Human Rights Museum. And, and in Canada, they have followed a very similar path as we did in the States of, of human rights and freedom and, and the, the struggles that have ensued and the sacrifices that have been made and had to be made. And what I've realized is that there are always going to be people that are willing to do what is necessary. And I saw a movie during the week, and it was a, I don't even want to say what movie it was, but the, one of the messages of this movie was that it doesn't take brilliance to get things done. Most brilliant people are so immersed in what they're brilliant at that they're incapable of functioning in the real world. What gets things done is persistence, and what gets things done is an effort and, and a relentless effort. And what gets things done is sheer will. And when people bring their sheer will to this and they decide that this is important enough to do, so they're just going to do it. It doesn't matter if I have to go to work tomorrow. It doesn't matter if I feel like crap. It doesn't matter if I have a headache. It doesn't matter if I don't like that person that I'm supporting. It doesn't. None of that stuff matters. What matters is that it's important enough to get to the end game here. And that's what we're here to talk about. I have watched some of the least capable people that I've ever known do the most capable things and have accomplished the most. People that, that couldn't hardly walk, people that couldn't walk, people that couldn't see, 
people that um, couldn't hold a pen, people that could hardly talk, people that couldn't drive, people that couldn't. I could go on and on about what they couldn't do. But what they could do was whatever it took and whatever was needed. And they summoned up what was necessary, and they showed up, and they got done what needed to get done. And that's what's happening right now. That's what this is about. That's what this show's about. That's what the Human Solution's about. And that's what our coalition's about. It's about bringing it to the table. It's about putting it aside and not worrying about what you don't like or who you don't like or what you can't do or what you can't this and that, and coming together with a common vision and a common message, and let's just get this done. We have some incredible guests on the line right now, and we have an incredible show, and I don't want to take up too much of this show by talking because we have a lot of people that I want to hear what they have to say. And uh, we have Sharon Rayford on the phone. She's going to come up first and tell us about a victory. And then we got Ashley Weber, who I've been looking forward to uh, interviewing a little more in depth. And then later on, we have Albert Thomas, and we're going to talk about plea deals and um, – what that means, and uh, we're going to talk about starting a chapter and what that means and what it takes to do these things. Um, we are live streaming right now, and hopefully um, I've got it posted on my public figure page, and if you haven't been paying attention, my personal page has now been split, and this is where everything's happening. Um, and I would encourage you, please, to share this around so that more people can see it. There's only a couple of people on right now. And hopefully this will, uh, you know, start spreading around and we'll get the same kind of an audience that we have. You can see, if you want to call in and talk to us, uh, the number is 9, I'm sorry, it's 646-929-2495. This show is brought to us by the Coffee Party and the Coffee Party Radio Network. And we are grateful to be here and um, we want to make uh, this show historical as it tends to be. Um, I started working with Sharon Ravert probably in spirit about 10 years ago, um, but we met a couple of months ago, and um, I seldom have met somebody who is as driven and focused and, and willing to do what it takes as Sharon, and um, Sharon gets the mission. She gets the mission. She's uh, paid the price. She's watched loved ones suffer. She has had it, <laughs> and um, she's out there walking the walk and teaching and dragging and doing what it takes. And Sharon has some incredible news to share with us, and so I'm just going to go right up to her because I can't wait to hear about it. Sharon, welcome to the show, and congratulations. Thank you so much. It's been a hard-fought battle, but Atlanta decided on Monday to decriminalize up to an ounce of marijuana right before DPA, the Drug Policy Alliance, comes to town. And it should be going into effect the day you guys arrive. Oh, my God. It's amazing. So why don't you tell us about this process? This didn't just happen overnight. Um, this this has been a long time coming. You guys uh, – have been fighting hard, and, and, you know, this came down to the last minute, but it looks like it was a complete overwhelming victory. I mean, they got the message. They got the message, and they told us via Twitter that they got the message. And so we got a 15, and then we got a 15 to 0 unanimous vote 
Um, and it has been a long time coming. Quite frankly, I was trying to explain to someone earlier today how it really went about. It's kind of like, you know, in the activism world, you have little bits and pieces. It's kind of like you're going through a window and a legislator or somebody hands you out a question and you, you give them the answers and the research and the statistics and the stories, and then they shut the window on you. But we met a young lady in Atlanta that came to one of our Peace Free Normal meetings almost three and a half years ago. And as you know, we went up to D.C. and went to Boston. And when I came back, she figuratively had left Denver on her way to Puerto Rico and had gotten stuck in Atlanta due to the hurricane. And she typically was sitting on my doorstep when I got home. She had made a phone. I accidentally called her thinking she was another person. She said, I'm in town. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, and I'm going to be here for a little while. And I want you to come down and talk to my cousin who happened to be uh, City Councilman Kwanzaa Hall, who had been working with us through the window, so to speak, um, on this decrim bill in Atlanta for the past year or so. And so she pretty much opened the door and led me right in. And wow. so since we've been back from Boston, we, you know, I got a meeting with, with the councilman. Um, we discussed the issue. He got the issue. Um, and within a week and a half of that, hard work, some phone banking uh, that we did, we got a unanimous vote. So you, you never think, know who you're you talking to. Or meeting up with somebody that was connected like that. I mean, you know, you've been just you've been just working hard since we last since we left each other in Atlanta about a month ago. You haven't stopped. You've no, been it's been going. insane. Oh. It's been insane. We've got this going on in Atlanta. It's also going on in other cities across the state. And then, of course, we're working to um, find co-sponsors right now for the statewide initiative. And we have found someone that's going to introduce it in the House, and not just in the Senate this year. So, oh, yeah, fantastic. it's been crazy since I've gotten back, and and we're really excited. A lot of the hard work that we put in is finally coming to fruition. Those seeds that we planted years ago are beginning to bloom. Why don't you tell us just for real briefly about this bill, uh, I mean about this, yeah, about this, this initiative that just passed. Okay, right. um, well, at this point in Georgia, I'm sorry. So At this point in Georgia, I'm sorry, we keep going over each other. I'm going to be quiet. Yeah, no, I just my, my question was, am I correct in assuming it's a city ordinance and it affects the city limits of Atlanta at this point? That is correct. That is exactly what it is. It's not a state uh, initiative. It's just now uh, the city of Atlanta, which actually encompasses uh, close to, um, I think, 850,000 people if I'm if I'm quite, I'm not positive about the numbers. Um so yeah, it's it's just for the city of Atlanta and um all the places within there. Um and it and it and they can like in most decrim or what they like to call it in Atlanta reclassification. Uh when you do that, you also have to worry about your you know, they can charge you under state law. So we all know after a year what the essence of this bill was meant to bring about in the city, 
and we're just kind of in a holding pattern right now, um, talking to, you know, the courts, the judges, the solicitors, um, and the police officers. And our APD um, chief, chief, Erica Shields, pretty much has said, we don't want to be arresting people and putting them in jail for marijuana. And she's been she's been along for this entire process. She's come to almost every committee hearing, and she, um, you know, has has been right along. So what we're hoping she does is, you know, take this ordinance and start utilizing it to save the lives and the futures of of the people in Atlanta that are being harassed over a plant. Well, we talked, um, like I said, back in Atlanta when we started to formally organize this coalition, and we talked about using Atlanta as a, um, a, a starting point, a place that we said, you know, this is the hub of the civil rights movement. If we can get something done in Atlanta, hell, it's going to just be a domino effect. And Boy, you didn't waste any time. We didn't even finalize <laughs> our plan yet. You just went in and got it done for us. Hey, well, there's a lot more to do, so we still need each other. <laughs> it's so true, and that's what I wanted to get to. This is a huge victory, and I'm so proud of you and your effort, and uh, everybody that did help, we're all doing this together. But this is the beginning. This is where we get in and we dig in harder. Uh, we have more cases in California and Colorado and Washington and, and all the places where we you know, people just assume that we've already accomplished this. And this is where the work really gets solid because passing a law and an ordinance is the beginning of it. But getting that to be accepted as the law of the land, getting that to become the norm, the society has to give up the stigma of this. The law enforcement has to give up their white paper. And uh, the, the lobbyists need to go and find something else to lobby. Um, it's going to take grassroots, boots-on-the-ground effort, and that's what this is all about. So, Sharon, I'm just so tickled to be able to share this with you, and I know you've got to be beat and um, probably uh, doing a little bit of whooping and celebrating right now, I'd imagine. We we did quite a bit of that that first night, but, of course, you know how it is. We're back to work already. we got a state to change. Yep, Exactly. All right, well, I uh, am so grateful to uh, be able to share some good news today. We have lots of not-so-good news we need to share today, too. But let, I just wanted to start off on a, on a good and wonderful note and uh, hopefully um, use that to inspire other people. Look, if these folks can get this done in Atlanta, what is keeping you? <laughs> there is nothing keeping you. So let's get her done. You know, Sharon, how does somebody get a hold of you if they need a little inspiration or uh, need to know, um, you know, what is it? What what is it that can be done? You know, you're starting to build a template here. How how would somebody get a hold of you? Well, so you can reach out to me on Facebook. It's Sharon Ravert, spelled R-A-V as in Victor E-R-T. Uh, send me a PM or. Or have you want to do that? Or you can reach me via email, which is Sharon S H A R O N at Peachtree Normal, of course, N O R M L dot org. Excellent, excellent. All right, Sharon. Well, always a pleasure, and um, I look forward to 
continuing this journey and uh, continuing these successes. So I will uh, Absolutely. talk to you soon. Craig is calling in from Terre Haute, Indiana. All and right. I'll be holding and listening. Have a nice night. Thank you. Beautiful. All right. Thank you so much. All right. And, Ashley, um, you're coming on next, but we got Craig Cecil calling in from prison, so he's going to uh, come in first. He usually calls in later than this. Craig Cecil, how are you doing today? Hello, Joe. Well, I'm here in the darkness in uh, Terre Haute, Indiana. <laughs> well, we've had kind of a busy week out here. I just got off the line with uh, Sharon Ravert from Peachtree Normal, and they just passed a decrim bill in, the, in Atlanta, Georgia, a couple of days back. Wow, they're actually becoming a bit more progressive in Georgia? Well, this is a this is a city ordinance in Atlanta, the heart of it all. And it was it was passed unanimously. And Sharon has been relentless. She's been out there um building the coalition and just storming the, the tower until it finally got the message. And um she was able to meet up with some people that had some inside connections and uh uh, the city council got the message, and and they apparently they made a tweet message that said just that we get it. <laughs> so uh, it's really empowering to watch in a place that has been so oppressive historically, um, hell since the Civil War, um, that we're breaking through here. And and um, her message just now was that they the law enforcement doesn't want to spend their energy arresting people for marijuana. And I just couldn't agree with them more. And what have they done? Have they just turned it into a civil fine, or have they made it so that less than a certain quantity is legal to possess? Yeah, they they, they, they decriminalize less than an ounce. So it's what California did uh, when Schwarzenegger left office, and it actually protects probably 90% of the people that are affected. You know, they can still go after you with state charges if they want, and they can still go after you for, you know, intent to sell. And if they want you, they can still go after you. But for the average person that gets picked up on a jaywalking offense or pulled over and I smell pot offense, this is going to be a, a, taking the, the steam out of, their, out of their weapon to be able to just take you in on that. That becomes not a criminal offense now. So... It's, I, I'm, I'm confident that it's going to affect thousands of people um, very directly and, and, and very quickly. So it's really going to empower the good cops is what it amounts to. The cops that really want to go out there and stop violent crime and stop the crimes that people are really concerned about, they're going to be empowered to be able to ignore the marijuana offense is what it sounds like. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. We're we're having, you know, more than one conversation in in where I'm standing. Now, our ultimate goal is to end prohibition entirely. And, you know, the the conversation is always brought to legalization as as an end as an end. And we all know, well, no, we don't all know, but those of us who know know that you know, passing the law is a portion of this, and a portion of this is changing the way we think, changing the way that law enforcement thinks. And, you know, my wife keeps asking me, why 
why is the mantra always legalization, and why why don't people talk about prohibition? And I, I think, frankly, people don't realize that there's a difference. I don't think that people even know, you know, that there is prohibition. They believe that, you know, we got 42 states now that have passed some form of access. People believe that it's not prohibited anymore. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it, actually, that, that kind of coincides with some research that I did a ways back into the original uh, marijuana, let's call it from a federal prison. The Marijuana Tax Stamp Act of uh, 1937. And what they really stopped doing that law is just limit who could have marijuana. They actually charged a, a tax to some people of $100 to others of $200 to possess a, an ounce of marijuana. If you registered as a marijuana user under the tax compact, you only paid a dollar an ounce. What became a big issue at that time is then, is marijuana was illegal in many states. And the people were kind of wary about signing up as a marijuana user yeah. and then having the states come out and arrest them. It wasn't until uh, much later that they actually criminalized, you know, just straight out the, the possession of marijuana under federal law. So really, even in, in its inception, they, they sought to regulate it, but not criminalize it. So the prohibition kicked in later where they actually said, you know, no, this is a controlled substance that, you know, you may not possess or possess with intent to distribute. Exactly. So really, it's, it's a big difference, you know, by, by tying it up in the Controlled Substance Act, which as you know now, that just recently they've been adding a whole lot of new substances, all those that they call the analogs. The bad salts type things and, and oh, all yeah. that. Yeah, they're adding stuff to it and almost it, every day now. And they, I mean, they've actually um, breached up some, you know, just stupidity in some of these things. Is, is you can actually be arrested for uh, possession of acetone because they've determined that acetone is used in the production of some drugs, like I think meth and. I think cocaine. It's a heavy-duty solvent that's used in all kinds of extraction techniques. That yeah, it's also a pink thinner, and it's also something that virtually every woman has in their medicine cabinet to take their fingernail polish off. <laughs> I was. I mean, a, you can find it at any Walgreens and any Ace Hardware. You know? Oh, absolutely! I was a painter for 20 years. And acetone was always in my, you know, my painter's truck as a tool to remove paint if I needed to. But you you're know, right. And my business, my business worked in fiberglass, and I bought it in 55-gallon drums. <laughs> there you go. It, 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 it was, it, it, it's a powerful, it's a powerful solvent. And, and the point of it is, you're right. They, they're going after things in all the wrong way. Um, you know, we've got to look at this with some common sense. It's like the, you know, the people that want to uh, correct bad driving habits by making speed limit laws different or correcting, you know, I don't even want to broach the gun control subject right now, but, but you know, the whole notion of controlling human behavior by prohibiting things has never worked. We have to come at it from another point of view. We have to come at it from a point of action 
and consequence rather than possession of something or 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 even worse the conspiracy to possess something it's never ever shown to work in any model that you can prohibit something to a point where it'll be accepted as no longer acceptable and people won't do it anymore it just doesn't happen I agree I agree and like, like you're you know, mention the, the comparison to guns, which is a tough subject, you know, after this weekend. But again, it, it's with marijuana, the, the drug itself is not injurious. Now, if somebody does use that and later uses other drugs, it's not because of the marijuana, but rather it's because of, you know, that person's actions. There you go. You just nailed it on the head. People are responsible for their actions, period. We, 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 everybody, whatever you did in your life, you did it. Nothing made you do it. No drug made you do it. No, nothing. You just made a choice and you did it. And if it was easy to make that choice because you were high, hey, that's on you. But you still made that choice. And I just think that, you know, we've, we've evolved into this society of, of nobody is responsible for anything anymore. And, you know, things are now responsible for our behavior, and, you know, we've given up almost, and I certainly haven't, and I know there's plenty of folks who do believe, as I do, that, you know, we're all responsible, and, and we all have the ability to make the change that we need to as well. And uh, where's our right to privacy? Where's our right to figure out, you know, what I'm going to put in my body and what I'm not going to put in my body? <laughs> now, I, I, now, I can see them regulating, you know, my effect on somebody else if I, you know, do something like that. But for somebody that, you know, is not affecting somebody else in their marijuana use, why would they, you know, prohibit the possession of it or the use of it? Well, you know, we get down to, again, the conversation, and I have welcomed anybody to come in here and argue any of the points that I make here. I welcome that conversation and that debate because you've got to bring facts to the table, and I'll bring facts to the table. There is no argument for prohibition. There is nothing that says you cannot bring any fact to the table that will demonstrate that this is a dangerous substance, that people without any um, control of any way – there's no way that somebody can get hurt because of this plant, with the exception of somebody making a rope and, you know, lynching somebody or, you know, making a bale of it and knocking somebody over the head with it. But short of that, you, you can't hurt somebody with this. And, you know, when I talk about no one should go to jail for a plant, people always bring up, well, what about cocaine? What about opiate? Well, those plants never hurt anybody either. There, nobody ever got killed by a coca plant or an opium poppy. And there's actions that have come as a result of those plants and the things that they can do, but those actions are the problem, not the plants. And I just think that we've got to get to a place of common sense that, that holds things accountable and holds actions accountable rather than substances. They're just not, you're saying it's very much against uh, public opinion, you know. I mean, uh, if, if we could, you know, push it somehow to get through the committee and uh, at the federal level, I think the Congress would vote in favor of descheduling it, you know. They well, may have a, 
you know, an interim plan, you know, to, you know, that they wouldn't just make it effective this day that he scheduled, that, you know, there may be some way to phase it in. But I think that, you know, it would carry the day if they could get a full vote on it. Well, you know, Sharon actually um, uh, just told us that, you know, the one of the bills that is being pushed through the Senate has actually got some uh, support from the House side as well. So we're starting to make some progress in ways we haven't. And, you know, whether it happens this session or next session, the fact that there's more and more efforts, and I've heard that there's up to a 90% approval rating for some sort of decriminalization. And so, um, you know, in Michigan, I know they have an effort right now to decriminalize, and they've had a medical law for almost as long as California has. Um, and so, you know, finally people are starting to maybe choose the language that will solve the problem instead of create more problems. And it's kind of, you know, exciting to see that there's these efforts that are happening. Um, you know, the terms like decriminalization and abrogate and repeal, those are important terms. And, um, you know, the control and tax and regulate, those are also terms that are being used a lot, but to to look at this from a point of view that says when we're done, nobody will be locked up for this anymore, period. There isn't, it, it's not a thing that you can get locked up for anymore. That's the end game, and I think that it's important that everybody who is trying to legalize it, and I put quotes around that, keeps that in mind, that if you're going to try to pass a law, let's make sure that your law decriminalizes this. Let's call it from a federal prison. Because uh, when they did do the, uh, uh, the undo the uh, prohibition amendment, what was it, in the 1930s when they rescinded it, it didn't let the people out of prison. Exactly. Now, now I've and many people felt that was a mistake. Now, at that time, they could rely on the parole boards, and really the parole boards overstepped their boundaries and nobody stopped them. A lot of people did get released on parole. But as you know, federal prisoners did not get paroled any longer. They did away with that in 1987. But right now, Joe, I might even uh, answer a call to action. Uh, I'll send you a message and all that, but as of October 1st, they've significantly cut back our, our food uh, Again, for instance, instead of spaghetti, we could serve spaghetti noodles and some uh, canned tomatoes. That's it. What? That's the, end. That's the entire meal we had tonight for supper. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, send me what you can, and I will. We're starting to build quite an audience now. Our audience has been doubling uh, virtually every week lately. So um, I think we're starting to build quite an army. You send me the details, and I will get it out there. Okay. So be looking for that, but I just want to say thank you to everybody again for shining the light over the razor wire at those of us in here. <laughs> well, well, that was actually perfect timing. This is the first time Craig uh, jumped out and, uh, you know, was able to say the last words that he wanted to. It kills me every time Craig's on the line like this. Um, he gets 15 minutes, and if you've ever been locked up, um, it's 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 grueling. You get 15 minutes to talk, and then you know, depending on your financial abilities, 
um, you might get another chance to talk again, but it's very expensive and um, it's it's just heart wrenching. Um, but to everybody who has been reaching out, I've been spending a lot of time coordinating, networking, working with people in the last couple of months, trying to bring people together. And I get a lot of people saying, what can I do? Craig just put out a call to action. They're cutting the food in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, especially in Terre Haute, Indiana, where he's at. Um, we can make an a, a call to action. We'll put up together a press release uh, when he sends me the details, and we'll give you the contact information to call the Bureau of Prisons, the warden. You can file complaints online, send emails, write letters. Physical letters are powerful, folks. This is something that anybody can do. All right. So we got a huge show ahead of us, and, you know, Craig's been calling a little bit earlier, um, which gives me more time to jump in now. Ashley, I'm sorry it's taking you so long. We're going to jump right on to, into this. Ashley Weber from Colorado, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you? I am doing fantastic. So sorry we we're going to try to put you on front and center, and then all of a sudden here we are. We're 30, 40 minutes into it. But now you get oh. the floor. <laughs> oh, well, it was it was uh I love listening to Craig and hearing what he has to say and knowing kind of what he's going through on in there and how we can help him. That's that's wonderful and I just wanted to congratulate Sharon for uh what she did with the city of Atlanta and that that was incredible. Yeah, I just couldn't uh, pass up the opportunity to break that story first thing. I uh you know, we get so much uh, heartbreaking news and so little good news that we have to deal with on the show that any time that I get a chance, um, I like to bring out the good news. So um, I don't apologize for I uh I welcome it. Yes. So, Ashley. Well, thank you um, for having me. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I thank you for having me on the show today. Wonderful. Well, you came on uh, uh, a month or so back when, uh, shortly after I uh, had come back from Colorado, and we met in person out there. And I've uh, uh, known of your work, and you know, been following and admiring the work you've been doing. And you demonstrate one of the points that I was making early on that you know, the people that um, choose to get it done, get it done. And you're one of those people that um, has not been hindered, apparently, by, you know, um, all kinds of physical grief that you've had to go through and, and, and have gone through. Um, I've never seen you um, any way other than focused and, and positive and moving forward. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on right now? I know you are working on a on a hemp project, and I want to kind of just briefly touch on that a little bit because we really haven't talked about it. But um, you know, hemp has become a word that people I don't know misunderstand a lot, um, and the whole notion of hemp and cannabis being a different plant. Or, or is it marijuana or is it hemp? Uh, all we're talking about really is the THC content of the plant, not the subspecies or anything like that. But it turns out 
that the hemp plant is an amazingly useful plant, regardless of its uh, lack of THC. And you've you've uh, you've been pretty active with that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you got going on? Well, I started getting active in the hemp side of things once about two years ago um, when the when 2014 the farm bill passed and they allowed 0.3% THC and under to be considered hemp. And once that happened, there was there opened um, a lot of uh, opportunities for farmers that aren't getting uh, very very much yield anymore on their farm or are not getting uh, or don't have water because hemp doesn't take as much water. Um, so there's a, there was a lot of different opportunities that opened up once that farm bill went through. And so once the farm bill was established and the Colorado Department of Ag had a program in place, then Colorado residents were able to start growing. And uh, so we grew about two years ago, and we um, that's when we started growing the industrial hemp. And it was amazing to see how little... How, how many pounds of seed it created in one acre. It was amazing to see the stock and fiber that we were able to pull off of one acre and um, what this could be used for and in animal product as, and as and a human product as well. And so right um, now, uh, you're, you are involved in a, in a farming project. And when we talked... Not too long ago, you were talking about um, the lack of processing equipment was kind of a problem in, in inhibiting your ability to grow things. Um, you made any breakthroughs on that? Well, once, the, once everybody sees that hemp is still Schedule 1 because it is cannabis sativa, and we see federally funded programs for crop insurance not helping these farmers in any way, shape, or form get this commodity going, um, we see people scared to take on this liability, uh, such as even seed cleaners in town. Um, they don't want to seed clean because they're afraid they might lose some type of insurance that they have through the government. And farmers who have a lot of land are afraid to grow just a little bit of hemp or just test it. R&D because they don't want to lose what insurance they have on the rest of their farm because it's all governmental programs. So this is the same age-old problem um, that we've been dealing in California with doctors being afraid to uh, talk about, you know, using the medicine, um, even lawyers sometimes being afraid to uh, jump into the fray. Uh, people are afraid of the federal law. They're afraid of losing their licensing. They're afraid of losing their uh, benefits, their uh, funding. You know, this Federal um, Controlled Substances Act is just really accomplishing everything it's set out to. It, it's funny. People say, well, the government's losing the war on drugs, but in a lot of ways, you know, they're kicking our asses still. And I, I okay. think that that's one of the reasons that this show exists, is to educate people about um, things like this and risk takers. Have you ever heard of anybody who um, was connected to hemp farming uh, that was uh, prosecuted or lost their uh, federal subsidies or anything like that? 
I uh, was I am connected with someone who applied for a loan at a bank to to buy land and the one question was asked are you planning on growing any hemp on your land and if so then you cannot get that this loan so he couldn't he couldn't get the loan he applied for through the farming community because he would have been growing hemp yeah that's 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 unfortunately a very common thing in fact uh i've i've watched people that were trying to sell hemp products on you know some online stores and things like that have their accounts shut down um i even had you know i have a a a, a hemp product line that we make and i just yesterday had my uh credit card processing um you know i was using the square and they shut my account down and i don't sell anything that i can't ship anywhere in the world but they they won't even talk to yeah. me about it they it's it's they just sent me an email said we deactivated your account because you weren't following our rules and i they won't even acknowledge it i'm just like i've been doing this business i've been in this business for 15 years and i ship all over the world, never had a problem, but, you know, now they don't want to take my money. Yeah, but, you know, they allow us to import billions of dollars worth, and it sits in Walmart on our shelves, and we can buy it all we want, as long as we import it from another country, um, which is another thing that if, if you have any THC, you're not supposed to ship over state lines, and um, but as long as you order from outside of the country, then you're okay. Exactly. Just pure hypocrisy. Well, I do want to continue this discussion on a regular basis. You're involved in this in real time, and this is something that, um, just like the rest of this movement, changes day to day, week to week, month to month. And I consider you, you know, one of the experts in hemp farming right now. As they're so, I, I don't know a lot of people that are, you know, actively engaged in this in a in a way that, you know, most of the people I know that are growing cannabis are growing, you know, medical cannabis flowers and for the most part are questionably legal at best, you know. Um, it's just yeah. the way it is. It's still a very gray to black market no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. And even people that are protected by California's medical laws, eh, you're sort of protected if, if everything lines up right for you. Which brings me to the next question. Um, you've been an activist and an advocate um, working with patients for a long time, and that's actually what has brought you and I together in, in, in the same orbit. Um, the hemp stuff is kind of ancillary, although it's very important. The reason that you and I, I think, are both in this conversation is because we're trying to change the world, and we both have had yeah. it intense experiences with the healing value and power of this plant and we've watched people's lives be changed and we've also watched people's lives be uprooted and decimated by prohibition um i understand you were there with uh mark Pedersen days ago um doing court support and i don't know if mark's going to be able to call in today or not but i thought i understand there was just a continuance but i, I definitely wanted to get your um your report on what happened out there. Yeah, Mark Mark Peterson, if um, all the viewers and listeners don't know uh, what's going on, he was charged or is going 
or is being charged with five felonies. And this is a court appearance that sees if this goes on into court. So it's a preliminary. And um, so when we were there, uh, they, he had a continuance for another two weeks because the DEA said they had new evidence that were, was introduced. Um, and did so, that, what did his attorney say about that? Did it seem that the new evidence was beneficial to Mark, or, or I mean, they've already turned over discovery. I've seen his discovery, and they don't have a case, in my opinion. They don't have anything that is, you know, damning aside from the very letter of the law um, to actually get a, a conviction on this in Colorado. Um, they're going to have to try pretty hard, I think, especially if we mount um, some serious support if this actually moves forward to trial. Yeah, and there are so many caregivers here in Colorado and advocates that are standing behind him because any any one of them or it could be in that same situation. So um, whenever they're saying he had 5.7 pounds of marijuana and 25.8 pounds of concentrate, what, what the listeners, the viewers, everybody only heard that amount. But what they didn't take into consideration is what was actually weighed. And what was weighed was tinctures and trash bags and glass. Anything that had any type of resin on it was considered some type of a concentrate. So... When Channel Nine or Ch- Channel Seven News, excuse me, ran his story, it made Mark look out to be like he was doing something wrong with cannabis and helping other people. But in reality, what the the general public doesn't understand is how that concentrate came to that 25 pounds and how the the marijuana came to that five pounds. So there's a lot of um, misunderstanding in the story as well. Well, and I think that's an important point as well. I know when Mark told me that uh, last week he was going to interview, um, and he was wise because he brought somebody along that actually taped the whole show, uh, the, taped the whole thing. So I posted up on my uh, public page um, the uncut version of that. And if you watch that, it's a lot longer, but it certainly tells uh, a different story than their cut version did. Um, anybody who's ever, you know, done mainstream news interviews, um, you got to be real careful. It's it's just like we say with law enforcement. Anything you say can and will be used against you. It, anything you say will be used against you. And with um, the mainstream news or, you know, any news for the, that matter, they might do a half an hour interview and they'll cook that down to a 30-second, one-minute soundbite. And I've seen what they're capable of doing. And, um, you know, they can turn things around just like a prosecutor. And um, luckily, sometimes, you know, we live in a world, fortunately, where everybody's got a video camera now. And and for us to be able to record things as they actually happened, a lot of times can help us to redeem ourselves. Um, For anybody who has ever sat in a court and has ever spent time watching what prosecutors do and what detectives and all that do, when they bust a a grow, they oftentimes weigh plants with soil and roots. 
and they just throw it all on a scale, and they say, here's your total weight. We got hundreds of pounds, and, you know, and everything, immature buds, you know, and then if you're smart and capable and have enough money, you can bring an expert in to determine that, well, actually the usable amount of that was two and a half pounds out of the, you know, 99 plants you had. Um, and the same thing goes through with, with concentrate. I don't know if you've ever carried glass, but the stuff's heavy. And, you know, if you don't put your concentrate in glass, it's going to stick to everything. So, um, you know, oil makers use glass. It just makes sense. And the same thing goes through with the plant material. If most people run trim to make oil, well, guess what? It takes a lot of trim to make oil. But it's a byproduct. It's leftovers. It's not the main part that people grow. So, you know, it, it should be lauded as recycling, <laughs> but instead... Um, you know, they find a way to demonize it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, as a patient advocate and as a as a defendant advocate, as an ally, as a as a as a member of this coalition, um, you know, you've participated numerous times in supporting defendants. Um, I can't thank you enough for doing that. That is something that, you know, I've advocated ever since I got busted for the first time and even knew that it was a thing. <laughs> even first time I ever knew that it could even happen or should happen. I, I would have never known otherwise. But after experiencing it from both sides, um, it's, it's a tremendously powerful thing, both for the defendant and for the supporter. There's a, an incredible... Yeah energy that gets shared when somebody takes time out of their busy day to go into the belly of the beast, to go actually into the place where, um, you know, these decisions that affect people's lives are made and to be fearless and walk into that place, um, you know, well-behaved, well-dressed and, and attentive. Uh, it takes a special person to do that. And unfortunately, you know, I wish more people would do that, but to those that do, um, you know, I'm here to raise you up, and um, I just uh, I, I can't be more thankful. Why don't you share what that experience is like? I don't think people understand it unless they've done it. Well, when you go in and you get to support somebody who has been there to support you through your hard times and has helped helped you personally, I mean, it it's such a, a generous feeling and. Um, a grateful feeling that you get to be there in in spirit and try to help lift him because you know you know Mark how he might be feeling he's probably feeling alone. Uh, people may have not been showing up to to the hearings as much as they should be because they're scared of of what had happened and and how the whole situation had gone down. But in all reality, a cannabis community is a cannabis community, and we stick together. And and Mark deserves all the credit in in the world. He's helped so many people. So to be able to stand behind him and push him forward and give him feel make him feel lifted, you you it's it's an indescribable feeling that you you have yourself just to know that you're giving him hope. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Mark has exemplified um, what needs to happen. Um, so many defendants 
come to me with kind of a, unfortunately, a, a limp wrist. And they come and say, I just got busted. Can you help me? And then that's kind of where it ends. And I tell them, well, you know, first step is come on to the radio show. Tell us about your story. That washes out two-thirds of them. And then those that do come on one time, then we try to get them to um, advocate for themselves. I mean, for me to come, they somehow think that we have this army we can summon. And just by a point of a finger, we can bring 50 people with ribbons down <laughs> to wherever we need to. And, you know, this is a grassroots effort. This is something that we learn tricks that work and we learn uh, a plan and we learn that if we do certain things a certain way that we will bring community support. But Well, and it's, it's really uh, – sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just I was just going to say that it's really important to bring as many people as you can to the table because once you can show the courts how mundane their their statement is and their their trial their case anything that they have if they can see so many people behind this this Mark Peterson and what he stands for and and stands for cannabis I believe that that's just a you know power numbers and power and and just that that drive it will show the courts that he's he's a good man and i think that that that's what needs to happen so if we could get more people down there that would that would be really incredible and i know that a lot of caregivers and even advocates maybe maybe not so much advocates but patients are sometimes scared to get their name out into the open or their faces out into in, into the, the belly of the beast, like you said, it's it's hard in some cases. But in these situations, when someone's about ready to be behind bars for doing something so innocent as helping save people's lives, I think that you should be there to, to support them 100%. Absolutely. And you know what? If you're afraid, put on a disguise. During my trial, we had somebody who actually got kicked out of court. Um, and it wasn't for anything she really did. The prosecutor during the hall, in the hallway uh, accused her of doing something, and it didn't happen. I was there. The judge kicked her out of the court. She went home. She bought a wig and put on some big glasses, and she came to court the next day, and nobody could tell who, who <laughs> she was. We all knew, but the court didn't know. And, I mean, frankly, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> She, she put on even an accent. She called herself uh, Olga. <laughs> but, Olga. But for anybody who is a child and remembers Olga, um, you know, it, it, it just shows. You know, if you're afraid of being seen, put on a fake mustache. Whatever it takes. You don't have to look like <laughs> you. And, and, frankly, nobody cares. And there's nobody, nobody is looking for you, I can assure you. But what I also know is this. I've sat in many a courtroom waiting for the case that I was there to support to be, and nobody gets support. And when there is community support, it makes such a difference. It's so different from what normally happens in that courtroom that it is, it's unstoppable. And the court is the only thing we really have, aside from, you know, some giant dream team of lawyers that none of us can afford, Walking in there with even five or ten people, and you're professional-looking, 
you're taking notes, you're being attentive, and you're not disturbing anything, they don't know how to respond. They don't like it. It makes them squirm, and oftentimes it causes a positive result. Um, so I'm just so grateful for uh, you being out there doing that and advocating for that. Um, I know you've got a lot of projects that you're working on as an advocate. Um, you want to tell us about anything in particular that you've got going on right now? Uh, well, we're kind of just working on what's going to be coming up in session since that will be starting in January, and we want to meet with all of the senators and representatives and, and see what we can do here in Colorado and uh, furthering the CDPHE registry, fixing House Bill 1220, which limited caregivers and their growing rights, and uh, fix some of the lab testing, tighten up on, on uh, the regulations with that, and hopefully pass a bill where we can have social clubs and um, and cannabis and a cannabis social club. That's that's a, that's a big one that we want to do this year. You got no problem having bars, right? Like you can go to a bar yeah. and drink alcohol all you want, right? I mean, they got no issue with that. Absolutely. Social club. Absolutely. I mean, that's and kind of like just what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I, we were we want to try to get something to where. Uh, THC and uh, unemployment or employment shouldn't be affected by the THC um, being positive and present in in a test because you know it's, it's legal within the state, um, but then you have your federal grounds as well. So we hope to at least protect medical patients, if nothing else. Well, you know, any gain that we get, it, people are so uninformed about Colorado. They think. It's a mecca. They think anybody can do anything they want. They think, you know, pot is, falls from the skies and grows on lollipop trees. And, you know, it's not that it's not available, but um, it's expensive. Um, the it's, it's overrun by industry and people that don't necessarily care about the common folks and the patients that need it most um, have the least amount of access to it, just like always. And I think that, you know, any gains that we can make um, are, are efforts worth making. But most importantly, when anybody uh, gets hit and they're willing to stand up, um, that's the one thing we all can do. We all can stand up with our brother in arms. You know, Mark Pedersen is um, he's the epitome of what we're here to do, is to support people that have the courage and the guts and the willingness to stand up. If Mark goes to trial and loses, he will suffer greatly. If Mark goes to trial and wins, he wins for all of us. And if they give up before trial, he wins without any blood loss. And we can cause that to happen just by the overwhelming support and, and keeping him strong. Um, I know how it is. Defendants give up when they don't feel like there's anybody standing there with them. And I know that that's one of the things that, uh, you know, him and I have had several long personal conversations, and he's got a lot of heart to him, but he's a man like everybody else. And uh, it's grueling, brutal, uh, arduous. I don't know how many ways to say how how difficult it is to, to trudge through that. Um, and the only thing that can be helpful, really, is knowing that the community is there behind you. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, if if anybody listening uh, here in Colorado, 
it's going to be in Jefferson Jefferson County on uh, I think it's October 16th. Um, that's when his next next date is. Well, how would uh, somebody get a hold of you if they um, are interested in participating, helping out in any way, or, or just being involved more in Colorado? Um, one of the best ways to get a hold of me would be to email Colorado Normal, um, and you can do that at uh, Colorado Normal N O R M L at gmail dot com. And uh, if you'd like to get a hold of me personally, it's A Y Weber W E B E R and the number seven at gmail dot com. Beautiful, Ashley. Well, I have one final thing to throw out there. Um, you know, you and I have have pledged to work together uh, as part of this coalition, but I just want to hear from you how important is it that we stand together, put our egos aside, and just lock arms and, and, and march together where we are? Well, we have to. If we want to keep moving forward, we do not want pharmaceutical taking over. We do not want our brothers, such as Mark Pedersen, behind bars. We, um, we need to stand united and we need to come together whether we agree or disagree with some certain amount of things we at least agree cannabis is cannabis and it should be legal and available to everyone for medical conditions uh, for non-medical conditions for recreational and or just just for life in general um it so just always Go ahead. No, I just said it certainly should not be a crime. Should not be a crime. Should not be a crime. It just, it's just, it's, it's dumbfounding that, that even people that, you know, uh, were somewhat supportive of a legalization bill, when somebody gets busted and is accused of being outside of the law, so many people will say, well, you know, he was breaking the law. Yeah, they take a hands-off. Yeah, they take a hands-off approach because, you know, you stepped over the state law, the state line in into Nebraska. So, so now you're you're a bad person because you had marijuana on you. So I just, I definitely would like to reiterate that it doesn't matter what state you're in, it's still not okay to get in trouble for cannabis. Well, I couldn't have said it better, and Ashley, I just very much enjoy having you on the show, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing some updates as things are progressing, and um, hopefully you'll stick around and listen to the rest of the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Again, folks, Ashley Weber from Colorado, advocate, hemp farmer, and um, just all-around amazing person. Okay, we have a whole bunch more uh people on the line that want to talk and then we're going to bring up um albert thomas and albert is a rising star with the human solution and he has been uh, uh picking up the reins in hawaii and um really uh impressing the hell out of me so i can't wait to talk to albert and we're going to talk about plea deals and we're going to talk about support and we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff but we've got ian anderson on the line we got peter yapel and we have Timothy Locke, and Timothy Locke I want to bring up first, and then we're going to bring Ian and then Peter. Um, Timothy Locke is from Michigan, and I understand that he's uh, heavily involved with the Abrogate Michigan uh, campaign, 
And the way I understand it, it follows right along with what I've been talking about. You got to repeal this stuff. You got to make it not a crime. And I think Timothy's going to tell us a little bit about what their ideas of that are. Timothy, welcome to the show. I'm glad you could finally make it. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the time to come on and uh, discuss what's happening here in Michigan and how we're trying to make the change here. Well, I'd love to hear about it, so uh, why don't you jump right on in? Well, before we go too far, I want to say hey to Peter coming up, because I know Peter, we've been talking for a good while, too. So, hey, Pete, how you doing? I mean, you know, good conversation with everything else. Um, what we're doing here in Michigan, you know, I talked to you, I think it was last year, we were starting out our campaign trying to push this. Um, didn't get enough signatures. We're trying to do a constitutional amendment change here in the state of Michigan. Um, we're one of 13 states that have that ability to directly change our constitution by vote. And, in fact, we the people are the only people that can in the state. So this is what we're attempting to do. Um, we've got a few seconds here. I'd like to read through this year's language. It's similar to last year, but it's got a couple of different interesting points that I think people will find uh, uh, interesting. Um, so I'll just start right into it. Um, this proposal would add a new section to me to Article 1 of the state constitution to read as follows. Section 2, or Section 28, number 1, the agricultural, personal, recreational, medicinal, commercial, industrial, and other uses of cannabis in any form by any person shall be lawful activity. Number 2, all prohibitions on the use of cannabis in any form by any persons are hereby null and void. Number 3, use of cannabis shall include but not be limited to possession, consumption, growing, manufacture, delivery, treatment, purchase, sale, transfer, and or transport of any plant, seed, flower, leaf, mixture, derivative, extract, product, and or preparation of any part of the cannabis plant for all personal, recreational, religious, medicinal, research, development, educational, commercial, and industrial purposes within the state of Michigan. Number four, no excise tax, no fines, no fees, regulations to diminish the use Cannabis shall be levied or allowed. Number five, this amendment shall be retroactive. Number six, the or number six, no agency of the state shall receive monies from the federal government or any other entity to be used in the promotion of continued prohibitions of cannabis. Number seven is the general severability. If any section this amendment is for any reason held to be invalid or unconstitutional, the remaining sections, subsections, or parts of those sections shall not be affected, but will remain in full force and effect. And out. Well, that seems like a fairly straightforward bill or a proposal. Um, I know in California we had a, a repeal uh, um, initiative, I don't know, two election cycles ago, and yeah, 2012, the, there was a small town in Detroit that tried to, um, Matt Abel yeah. and the Michigan Normal crew tried to do repeal Michigan at that time. I mean, they didn't get very far, I guess. So, um, you know, we're a different group, yeah, different people. We're the, the tax calculate people always jump in and, and you know, try to fund, you know, their thing. Is there a competing um, initiative going right now, yeah. or are you guys the one? Yeah. Yeah, we're not the only game in town. Um, MPP is actually here working with the old MI Legalized crew and a few other crews trying to regulate marijuana like alcohol, um, which is a pretty straightforward position that anybody can, you know, reg you know understand how that would uh, therefore play out. So, um, yeah, we're not the only one. Yeah, They've actually got, as I understand, about 75% of their signatures right now. So, 
Well, um, I, I would like to, you know, extend our support. I, I we're a 501c3, so I can't officially um, endorse, uh, you know, any legislation. However, um, I encourage people to um, get educated, and as a coalition, um, I encourage you to to stand with us in our in our coalition to end prohibition. And I think you already are, but I'd like to, you know, kind of. I'd like to hear people say it. I think it's important that we all acknowledge that we're working together for that same common good, and you guys are, are doing it in a particular way that, you know, you have to be a resident to, to actively do stuff. But, you know, we have an audience that's growing. It's growing pretty quickly, and more and more people are saying, what can I do? So if somebody's not a sure. Michigan resident, is there anything they can do to help you? Um, well, as an official campaign here in the state, we can accept donations from any United States citizen or entity um, as far as that goes. Anything else is beyond you know, a monetary donation. I mean, there's a lot of things. Obviously, word-of-mouth advertising is huge. Um, our website is www.abrogate.org. Um, people can go there, and they can volunteer. Um, preferably, obviously, if they're going to volunteer for the petitioning um, Michiganders, but people in Michigan... Anybody can petition in the state of Michigan for signature. You don't have to be a state resident. You just need to be a state resident and a registered voter to sign the petition. But to collect a signature, right. anybody can come in. There's people that, you know, can come in and start collecting signatures. So they actually feel so inspired. Um, but, yeah, we are, you know, as we call them, the underdogs or the, the little guys, if you will. Um, but as you noted in your uh, lead-up, there's, you know, we've had the Michigan Medical Marijuana Act now for 10 years. It went into play. Well, coming up on 10 years, went into play in 2008 and took effect starting in 2009, basically. Um, since that time, arrests have went up 17%, and this has created a huge issue. Um, our act does not outlaw um, dispensaries, businesses, but because it doesn't say they're not allowed, they've been pushing on them as if they're not allowed in there's been a bunch of raids going down. Um, I believe today there were raids in Traverse City, which has pretty much remained untouched since the acts opened up. But there's a whole bunch of political things going on right now, and it's actually pushing people to this concept of full repeal at the state level. Um, and it's you know this is something not unique to Michigan. We actually were the first state that started the repeal of alcohol prohibition in 1933 and kicked off that whole thing, which only lasted about a year. Um, but then we got, you know, recreational legalized alcohol. So, yeah, I mean, we all are working for the same goals. We're all working for the same end, um, different paths of getting there. I'm, you know, kind of a no-nonsense kind of, I don't mind going the scenic route, but when I'm going the scenic route, I'm not trying to get something done. I'm there for enjoyment. And if I'm getting something done, I'm more of a little bit of a direct kind of person. Um, but with what's going on in the state, there's, I mean, how oh, in the last month there's been oh, raids in three different townships or, or communities where they had approval at the community level for operations of a quote-unquote dispensary under the MMMA. And these places have been raided by the state police. So, um, plus there's state legislation that wants to allow medical marijuana facilities, grow ops, um, testing facilities, as well as, um, you know, transport, secure transporting and um, processing centers. 
So at the same time that the state has passed legislation itself to allow these businesses, the state police are raiding them in other communities. So it's created quite a political uh, conundrum, shall we say. Well, again, um, I, I appreciate any effort that takes us towards the goal of creating a world where no one goes to jail for a plant for any reason whatsoever. I don't care how many plants. I don't care if you were taking them across town. I don't care if you were selling them, buying them, trading them, um, packing your vehicle with them. So we seem to have Amen. Uh, the same thoughts on that. We are running out of show faster than uh, we're coming. So I'll give you a last second to give me a, how does somebody get a hold of you if they want to help. Um, again, they can hit us up at abrogate.org. Um, they can jump on Facebook and search Abrogate Michigan. We've got a community and a discussion page. Um, and for a quick second, I'll, I'll lead out on number five, the retroactive, because retroactive, obviously we can't go back in time, but we can go back legislatively and erase old laws that are bad, and that would allow people to start actively pursuing either crime scrubbing from the record for cannabis-only charges or actual getting out of prison um, through the normal processes, because what is no longer a crime retroactively is no longer punishable retroactively as well. So thank you for your time, Joe. I appreciate the spot, and hopefully I'll have some good information in a week or two. We're having a meeting this weekend. Um, to see Absolutely. How we're doing. Oh. With updates, I appreciate you coming out. Okay, once Thanks, again, Joe. Timothy Hawk from Michigan and Abrogate, Michigan. All right, so we're going to shift gears again. Uh, we got Adam Asenberg to come in, and Adam, stick on. I do want you to at least give us a brief update from uh, Spokane, Washington area. Okay, I'm going to do a little bit of news real quick, and then uh, we're going to continue on. We do have a weekly contest, um, Solidarity Ribbon Contest. And basically, um, this little ribbon you see here, we wear in the courtrooms. Uh, we wear wherever we go. We wear them all the time. And it shows our solidarity, it shows when we're standing together um, that we are standing together. Um, when we're standing by ourselves, it gives us something for people to ask, what's that about? It gives us an opportunity to talk about civil rights, supporting people, um, the notion of a world where no one gets locked up for pot. Uh, it's not a conversation that most people just walk around going, hey, you want to end prohibition? Unless you're kind of nutty like me and a few people I hang out with. Um, we do that, but most people don't. So you wear a little ribbon on your, on your, uh, over your heart or wherever the heck you want to wear it. Some people wear it in their hat. Some people wear it on their lapel. It doesn't matter. Some people wear it upside down, sideways. Bottom line is we're having a contest, and on our Human Solution um, group page, which I will hopefully be able to show you, but that's the page. Um, it's a... Uh, Regular group page, we have a poll now, and all you have to do literally is go anywhere on that page. We changed the rules just a bit, and anywhere on this page, oh, I've already come off it. Um, anywhere on this page right here, you can scroll down, go through photos, and you can select any photo that you want. And we have this poll. You can add a person, type in who it is. It would be the person that submitted that picture. Um, if you do that, please leave in a comment which picture it is so we can know who won what. Um, but anyways, you got till the end of the show uh, to cast your vote. At the end of the show, whoever has the most votes wins. Pretty simple idea. Okay, um, 
the human solution is growing like gangbusters right now. Uh, we've been gathering membership. We've been gathering support. Um, we got more and more people stepping in, saying, "I, I, I care. I, I, I dig what you guys are doing. I appreciate. I want to be part of it. I want to help." And um, they ask, "What can I do?" And <clears throat> I've been posting on my public figure page a lot of things that you can do. But right off the top, um, we need a secretary. Our secretary has uh, moved on, and uh, we need a secretary. It's an easy job. Um, come in, take minutes, sit in our board meetings and uh, once, twice a year, and that's it. But we do need a secretary. Um, a membership uh, coordinator. I've got my vice president taking care of that right now. Um, but she's doing a lot of things, and I'd like to have somebody whose job it is just to handle membership. Um, it's an important job. It's a detail-oriented job. Um, it's important that our members receive the packages and the um, acknowledgement of being a member. I think it's important. This radio show, uh, I can always use help getting new speakers, getting um, helping produce the show, show ideas. Um, hell, there's all kinds of things, creativity. Uh, the website, Becca Nichols has I've uh, done a beautiful job on creating the website, but we need some content, blog posts, um, uh, ideas, research, all kinds of things that could be added to that. Those are just a few things right now that can be added to this. Um, I'm going to jump to our calendar right now. One of the things you can do uh, in order to help is to get court dates on our calendar. And... Uh, I don't know why people love to create Facebook events and um, people like to share Facebook events. People like to ignore Facebook events. Um, not everybody's connected to Facebook events. Not everybody cares about Facebook events. Right now, our calendar for this week actually has a few uh, items on it. We have, um, from last Monday, we had the hearing for Mark Peterson. Uh, of course, we have Cup of Joe radio show, but we have tomorrow... Um, in, I believe it's in Ontario, um, in Canada, we have Mike Mailman, who is one of our um, chapter members up in our Friendly Manitoba chapter, and I was fortunate enough to meet Mike and spend a little time with him, and he's a good guy, and he's got a case in a in a neighboring province, and it's it's really messed up, and I believe he's on the line now too, so I'm going to give him a minute to talk as well, but um, we got his date up on the calendar. I actually, it's on there for Thursday and Friday, and I, I'm assuming that it's a two-day um, event, but we'll listen when Mike gets a chance to come on, and I will stay on the line, Mike. I, in fact, I'll put you up next, because I know it's expensive to call from Canada, so I just figured that out. Um, all right, so we're running. Oh, Amazon Smile. Okay, folks, we finally did it. We got Amazon Smile working. So if you use Amazon and you like the human solution, you can log in to smile.amazon.com and your regular Amazon account will give you an option to support a charity. Well, you can actually select the Human Solution International as your charity and you can buy anything you want off of Amazon as you normally would. It doesn't cost any more, it doesn't do anything, but Amazon donates a very small part of your purchase to our organization. And we're actually going to be putting up a press release about that, and we're going to put it out there to our membership, to our community. How should we spend the money? 
They're going to pay us quarterly, and we want to know, what do you guys want to do with it? Whatever we bring in, um, we'll have a chunk of money that we can do that we wouldn't have normally had. So I welcome your ideas. We're going to listen, um, and we'll, uh, we'll bring it to a vote, and that's how this organization works. Okay, without further ado, we're going to bring up Mike, and then we're going to bring Ian, then Adam, and then Peter, and then we're going to get to Albert. And Albert, um, you may end up um, beginning a conversation today and continuing it next week. Sometimes that happens. Um, we got a lot going on here, and Albert, I want to give you plenty of time to talk. I just can't go long today. So, Mike, um, we're going to do kind of a lightning round. Welcome to the show. Um, it was a pleasure meeting you. You're a good guy. I, I really enjoyed spending a little time with you. Tell us what's going on up there. Great talking to you, Joe. It was a pleasure to meet you as well. Uh, so it's actually Alberta, not Ontario, but uh, oh, just I'm one sorry, province yeah. over the other, the other direction. So I just got up to uh, Medicine Hat here in Alberta, where I uh, where I'll be going to my first uh, voir dire tomorrow. I'm I'm challenging the officers' right to search and seize uh, my my medicine yesterday. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> uh, I spoke with my lawyer today. He, he seems to feel that um, I don't have a very great chance of uh, succeeding tomorrow and that when I challenge the uh, legislation against trafficking cannabis in December that I'll have a better chance. Um, I have a public defender. I couldn't afford a, a proper lawyer. And, and the judge uh, insisted very, very, very strongly that I take a a lawyer and he actually pushed so strongly that I actually felt I had no choice. And so here I am heading to, heading to court tomorrow with a, I've got a whole bunch of uh, ribbons from a bunch of people who have told me they'd love to be here with me. But unfortunately it's a little over a thousand kilometers away from home. And most people that I know don't, uh, don't have any way of being out here. So I'll be going there all alone tomorrow. Oh God, I, I, I feel for you. Um, like if there's anybody that that is listening or knows anybody that is anywhere uh, near the area, um, you know, please consider uh, coming up there. It's there's nothing worse than uh, going out there to fight yourself all by yourself. But Mike, you've got a hell of a spirit um, in talking to you. You uh, are one of these guys that understands what you're up against, um, and you know you're right, you're righteous, and you know that um, there are people that stand behind you in this. Um, I don't know what the likelihood of this actually going to a jury trial is, um, but if it does go to a jury trial, I, I'll do what I can to get up there. Anytime there's a jury trial, it's it's the most important thing. And I, I you know, it's, it's brutal for anybody to come and take time off of their life, but it's more brutal uh, to be sitting in the defendant's chair, and I know what that feels like. So I, I, I have a hard time letting somebody do that by themselves. Well, you know, as much as I am going there physically alone tomorrow, I know that in spirit I've got a lot of support with me, so I, uh, I definitely have a lot more strength going into the courtroom with that. Well, this is a procedural hearing. It's not, it's not, you're not up at a, at a jury selection or anything yet. So um, please uh, stay in touch um, you know, we're trying to get Janice and Devin to be submitting regular local updates. Now that I've spent time with you guys, 
Um, we're not we're not uh, getting any further away. We're going to spend more time together, and I'm I'm real excited about what's happening in Manitoba, and the the support seems to be growing. And um, uh, you know, uh, Alberta hopefully uh, will get a clue as well. Um, you know, Canada is a huge place and doesn't have a giant population, which makes it more difficult to rally local support. But it doesn't make it less important, and I just can't stress it enough. Um, I just, anytime anybody, you know, that's why we're video uh, streaming these shows because it's getting a, a, a larger reach. And I never know who's going to hear this and say, hey, wait a minute, maybe I can. So why don't you give us quickly um, an address of where to be? If we can, uh, somebody happens to hear it, they happen to show up, look for the guy in the ribbon. And, um, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll appreciate you being there. What, what would be the address that you're going to be at tomorrow? Uh, the address is uh, 461st Street in Medicine Hat, um, Court of Queen's Bench. If anybody is interested, uh, please do find us on the Human Solution uh, page or uh, contact uh, Janice or, or myself on Facebook. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. And uh, please follow up tomorrow and let me know how it goes. And, um, you know, we're standing with you 100%. That's what this is all about. Appreciate the support, Joe. Take care. You bet. All right. Take care again. Mike Mailman from our friendly Manitoba chapter um, um, dealing with a case in Alberta next door. All right. We got Ian Anderson up. Um, Ian Anderson is a unique case because, and, and it seems that more and more, we got Albert Thomas up as well. Um, and it's another case. More and more, we're getting people that we supported um, some time ago that didn't just walk away and leave us behind. Um, historically, in the last, you know, almost eight years, um, a large percentage of the people that we've supported, as soon as their case was over, they literally just, you know, walk on and don't even, don't even kiss you on the way out the door. Just literally, just, you know, rut to rut. So long, suckers. Um, but more and more recently, especially, we're having people that we have supported. Um, get finished with their cases and recognize that we're not going anywhere and that there's still a lot of work to be done and have some understanding of the importance of what we're doing and have come back or have never really left and have continued to support. I can't share enough what that means to me. Uh, I sometimes felt not alone, but with, you know, in, in, in small companies sometimes, with regardless of how much work we've done and how much we've helped how many people, when you look around you and see how many people are standing with you, sometimes it's nowhere near the number you wish it was. And uh, more and more I'm watching people step back up out of the shadows or, or you know, unfortunately in Ian's case, uh, he got done serving a term. Um, so quickly we're going to bring Ian. And, uh, Ian, welcome to the show. I, I We haven't talked in a while. You talked, uh, you know, last time I talked to you, I think in person um, you were uh, getting ready to be sentenced. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit briefly about what happened and then um, let us know what's going on now. Okay, so hi, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show. I um, was growing um, medical cannabis for myself and my mother who had um, terminal leukemia, and um, I was arrested, um, sentenced, um, to three years 
and then um, I was lucky enough to get through boot camp and get out. Um, I'm still on uh, parole now, and um, I'm just about finished with this, um, what's called ISR, which is Intensive Supervised Release, and then I'll be on regular parole. Um, but um, I'm just glad that you guys are still working at it, and um, there's a lot of work to be done, like you always say. Well, Minnesota is a, a, an historically uh, hostile place. I understand you guys passed some kind of a law, but it's really weak, and it's not it's certainly done anything for most people. Um, I have another, um, I don't know, I guess I call her an ex-member, um, but, you know, her son had uh, gotten busted, and it was a real, God, the, the stories I hear up there are like just, horror stories, like small-town sheriffs uh, just literally framing people and setting them up and and just doing some of the most crooked, corrupt stuff that I've ever heard of. And and the people I've talked to in Minnesota have been really like, we're powerless. There's not anything we can do against this. And, you know, this one person in particular, you know, she helps out with the legalization efforts, but... She kind of was like, you know, I got one son still in prison. My other son just got out. I just, I, I, you know, don't have the heart to stand on the on the tip of the spear anymore. And um, you know, it was really hard to get support. And um, man, I, I am. It's, 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 it seems so daunting. And yet, I just know that if we can get enough people to stand together, it doesn't matter how corrupt or crooked anybody is. If you get enough people to stand together, you can beat it. Yeah, you can. Um, you guys, just the advice you gave me, I think, saved me 50 months on my sentence alone. Um, they were trying to give me 86 months. Um, and then with my letters of recommendation um, that you guys had sent and um, that I was able to collect, um, it dropped down to 36. So just that right there well, um, just shows the support. another example of why... You know, when we do these letter-writing campaigns, uh, you know, please, anybody who is listening, whenever we get the call to action, you know, I know it's a hassle. you got to stop what you're doing, take out a pen and a piece of paper, <clears throat> and actually put together a cohesive thought. But, my God, it makes such a difference every single time. There's just never been yeah. a case where we summoned letters together and got no results. It's never happened. Yep. Yep. This is the the my PSI um, agent um, had stated that was the most he had ever seen, and he had recommended <laughs> um, probation, but uh, the mandatory minimum um, was set at 36. So that's what I got at the bottom of the box. Is what they call it. Well, it, it couldn't have gone better in the worst of a situation. It could have gone, you know, layers worse. So. Um, I know um, you had another guest that you were going to bring up. We are really tight on time this time, but I yep. would definitely like to have you call back again and like to discuss, you know, what's going on with the efforts to make change up there. Um, we just are really pushing hard, and I've got Albert um, that I promised a, a significant uh, segment here, and I, I just want to get through everybody um, so that he gets a chance to really uh, bring his case up. But I do uh, appreciate that you came back up and joined up as a member and that you, uh, you know, have benefited and you're sharing your story so people can realize the value of grassroots efforts and working together and writing those letters and making those calls 
and showing up at court and all of those things, um, it always helps. Yes, it does, and I can't thank you guys enough for um, all your support. Appreciate it, Joe. Yeah. All right. Well, Ian, we'll have you come up again, and, and we'll continue the update. Ian Anderson from Minnesota. Okay, so we got Adam Asenberg. Um, he's a chapter coordinator from Spokane, Washington. I want to bring up for a second that we've decided, uh, we had our board meeting last uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we decided rather than having all of these little chapters that we're going to um, have a single state chapter um, for every state that we have a chapter. And uh, Washington used to have, God, I don't know, six or seven chapters uh, with the previous incarnation of our organization. However, um, when things divided up, most of the chapters just disappeared. Um, but Adam is still strong, and he's out there in Spokane, and he's um, still out there to help and support people as needed. Um, and so, um, Adam, you have an update for us, I hope. I know you are making some progress with your federal case. Uh, tell us what's going on out there in Spokane. Actually, uh, please give Albert my time right now. I can always give you a call next time. Okay, perfect. Adam, thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. I'm going to bring up, uh, I, I, we will talk next week. All right, I'm going to bring up Peter real quick, and then Albert's going to get uh, everything but the very end for Tom Corby. All right, Pete, welcome to the show. It's been a while. I haven't talked to you for a while. How you doing? I've got just a, a quick minute for you, but I, I welcome you to come back on any time. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, they say, Joe. Listen, I'm gonna, I'm ah. going to renege. I'm going to give my time up as well. I can always call in the beginning of next week, uh, you know, your next show, uh, and call a little bit earlier. But what what he needs to say is definitely more more well, just as important if anything that anyone else does. But I know you need to get it out, brother. And uh, love the show. You know that. Thank you so much. All right, we're gonna go ahead and bring up Albert next. Albert, uh, you are anticipated, and uh, uh, we have a very gracious. Uh, uh, set of guests today or, or, or callers that have uh, been willing to acquiesce. So um, welcome heard, to the show. How are you doing today, Albert? I'm doing great, Joe. Thank you so much. And, and to the guys that gave up their time, I really appreciate it. I think we're all just very generous in that regard that, you know, we're all willing because we, we want to make sure the word gets out there for everyone. So I really do appreciate that, though. So thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Well, I, let's um, get right into we are a little thin on time, and the way I work it, <clears throat> I give everybody all the time they need, but sometimes it has to go into next week to finish the thought. And I'm more than willing to give you first billing for next week if we don't get enough time. But first of all, I, I do want to get into, um, there's two points to this topic. The first point is uh, what you've got going, in, going on in Hawaii right now. You recently moved to Hawaii. Um, you're an active member of the Human Solution International uh, you're, you've moved from Oklahoma where you fought a case. You ended up taking a plea deal. We're going to talk about that plea deal. But as soon as you hit the ground in Hawaii, you looked around and you found a defendant that needed support. You ordered some ribbons, and you're in court. Why don't you tell us quickly about what's going on out there, and um, I'm excited. Yes, okay. Um, I was able to go to court support on Monday for... Michael Ruggles, uh, he has a pain management uh, clinic that, that he was running here in Hilo, 
up in Fern Acres up in the mountains, uh, and he has a, a, a bunch of patients that he supports. Um, and he was raided. Um, they came in and got oh, a couple of hundred plants and um, as well, I think, some cash. But he, his trial is coming up. We've got another hearing coming up on Friday, October the 6th. That's this Friday at 9.30. So anybody who's listening in the Hilo area, I will um, be in court, and I'll have the solidarity ribbons for anyone wanting to wear them. I can see where it will make a huge difference. Uh, There was a lady in court that was saying that she didn't think court support was that great. She was from Colorado, and she thought that what was done that she had seen in the past didn't help defendants. But he had about 20 patients in, in, in court with him. And, 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 you, and it was, for me, it was pretty dramatic when, when after his case was heard, the courtroom emptied. It was nobody else left there. And I think, if nothing else, the court does pay attention to that kind of stuff if they know that someone has that kind of support. So I'm really excited about showing up on Friday and hopefully getting people to wear the ribbons and, and, and unify here. Were you able to talk to the defendant? Oh, absolutely, yes. We spoke, and I I let him know that uh, I came to represent the human solution in you, and we just wanted him to know that we were going to be there for him for courtroom support and help in any way that we can. He was very um, gracious, very uh, happy to see me, of course. Uh, He did have his own following, and, and and, you know, I think he's, He's feeling like uh, entitled here or something. So he's like, you know, it, 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 he is um, an interesting uh, person. I, I admire that, you know, he, he is really on top of this. He, he's going to be representing himself with a, a counsel sitting next to him. But um, it, it, it could be very serious because he's facing, I mean, there's a couple of charges on there that carry a life sentence. So... I, I, I hope I, I wish him the very, very best. Unfortunately, um the odds are very stacked against him. I, I have very seldom the courts hate when people do that and they are very typically unfair to people that do that. And I know that when somebody is intelligent and capable, um and somewhat versed in the law uh, they feel like they can just jump into court and do this, but without knowing the rules of court um, very clearly, carefully, and specifically, um, I've watched said people just get decimated by the court when they go to represent themselves. I, I really hope that um, I hope that he has a moment of clarity and uh, you know really. Uh, decides to rethink that I, I as much as I think it's a great idea I have just very seldom seen it be effective um, and I, I know exactly yeah. the person you're talking about we've had a number of cases over the years that uh, were very similar you know we came out there to offer support and they felt very confident they got this and they really were not as uh, welcoming of the support as I would have hoped But we have to realize, this is a very important lesson. We're going to be officially chartering a chapter 
um, in Hawaii and going to give you the reins of that at one point. Um, and it's a fairly simple thing to do. We've really simplified what a chapter um, needs to do to be a chapter. Um, but it's important as a leader, which you've stepped up to become, uh, to understand that what we do is without expectation, and it's without um, it's without any kind of <coughs> excuse me any kind of expected reciprocation. We mm -hmm. make ourselves available. We offer what we offer, and then we step back and 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 you know you can you can be there and support, but we don't ever push ourselves on people, and we don't ever. Um, push our thoughts and ideas on people. It's it it is it's unbecoming, and I think that that's a hard lesson for us because we know something that's different from what they think they know. And I've watched it many many times where I'm like, but if you just let us help you, if you just worked with us and and stood with us, it would be better. And yet, so many people are, I don't know, they 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 have this confidence thing that. Unfortunately, I think um goes against you rather than helps you in some ways um but nonetheless, yeah. if you go into it understanding that that's a likelihood and you can go into it with a with a good heart and a and a and a willingness to do whatever you can, that's where your success will come in yes that um you know i i um I'm just really excited to to be here and and be able to help out. Uh, I, I know how when I was facing my charges to, to look out and Norma Sapp showed up with one of her friends. Well, that was the only support I had, but it was nice to see someone there at least. And oh, yeah. So that's why I'm willing to take I'm willing to take this on, Joe, to to help out in any way that I can. So. Well, excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm really We'll we'll have you do a, a conference call with the executive team, and we'll we'll get that charter to be official. Um, but let's get into let's talk about uh, your plea deal. Um, the discussion is is an important one because you are in the vast majority of what happens to people when they pick up a case. Um, Ninety-five to ninety-seven percent of all cases end up being settled in plea deals and and there's a tremendous amount of pressure from attorneys from the courts uh, from families from all around to take this plea deal and, and what they do is they take the carrot and the stick approach and they make the stick be a big ad badass thorny stick and they make the carrot to be a, a pretty sweet tasty carrot and it becomes kind of a very difficult choice to do anything other than take that plea deal. I know that when we talked last week, you were going to kind of um, get your thoughts together and, and have questions about it. So I want to turn it over to you as to how your plea deal went down and um, and then be here to answer your questions, and then I'll, I'll give my thoughts towards the end of that. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Joe. Um, for me, it was, um, um, I you know, reality set in once uh, I was looking at what my charges were and, and realizing where I was. You know, I was in the Bible Belt. I'm in Oklahoma. I, I didn't have really any support there um, other than the normal group that came out, normal people. And, and so it was, it was um, really hard to, 
listen to my attorney tell me that, you know, being a black man in Oklahoma, I didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of getting through this without serving a life sentence because it was, he says, on, on this jury I would have gotten probably would have been one African-American on there, and that would have been a Christian that would have voted against me. He convinced me of that, and I, and I, I understand it now. It, at the time, I felt like, okay, I let everybody down. I felt sort of like a coward, you know, like, okay, well, because I, I, I was ready to fight this thing. You know, I, I, I was thinking that you know, I had a case, had, you know, something that I could, could stand on. But, but um, it, as it all, when it boiled down to it, I had to ask myself the question, you know, what is the truth about what happened? And the truth about what happened is I was charged with something that I was doing that I couldn't deny. And so in the end, um, they offered me a seven-year deferred entry in judgment, and, and, and I was supposed to serve two years probation on that. And um, they, the, uh, the thing was that they wanted me to leave Oklahoma. I had asked if I apologized and left and paid a huge fine or something, you know, could I get out of this? And, of course, that, that was the answer. They, um, they, you know, I had to leave Oklahoma. Well, my attorney, fortunately, I, you know, I, I got an attorney that wasn't a local and wasn't a public defender, and he did the research. So when they give you a, a deal where they give you an offer to leave town, it could only be a misdemeanor charge. So it's 364 days of... DA supervised probation that I had to actually send in a fax form every month for 12 months, and then once that stopped, you know nothing else. I don't guess there's anything else until in seven years they're going to enter the judgment on me. But I don't really know the ins and out of all of that. You know, my attorney he did brilliant work to to knock it down to 364 days because. He did the research to find out that that's what the law stated. So it was, you know, that it, it helped me. So, but the the point was that he's he's not he wasn't forthcoming with what you know, like what activities can I participate in? Do I need to surrender my passport or can I travel abroad? I don't know those kind of things, you know, and I and I need to find out. But that was uh, part of the question that I had brought to you. Well, and, and the answer to that is going to be very specific to your case. Unfortunately, um, you know, city to city, county to county, state to state, conditions of uh, plea deals, probations, uh, and paroles vary, and there's a tremendous amount of power that the uh, probation department has and the tremendous amount of power that each judge has. And typically, there's not a lot of mandatory minimum um, sentence that requirements that are part of probation. Typically, if there's a mandatory minimum sentence, it's time being served inside. Uh, and so it's going to be, you should have signed um, something that relinquished your rights um, because you have to give up certain rights to take this plea deal, um, but it should have spelled out the very specific conditions of your plea deal. And you should have a copy of it, or you should have access to a copy of it. So that would be really the best advice I have is there isn't a blanket answer for that. Um, it's important. 
I can't stress enough, if you're a defendant, if you've ever been a defendant, if you're going to thinking about you might end up being a defendant, you have to learn what applies to you. Um, you have to be informed, and it's never too late to do that. If you're in the middle of a case, if you are already been sentenced and you don't understand it, uh, there there is information available. And so it's going to be important that you get back to your attorney um, specifically with those questions and possibly get a transcript of your sentencing hearing. Um, there may have been, uh, you know, that spelled out for you. It should have been. Um, as far as the conditions of traveling and all of that, again, it varies from case to case. I've seen, you know, probations where they allowed a defendant to use medical marijuana in a state where that was allowed. I've also seen them prohibit the use of medical marijuana in a state where that was allowed. I've seen a case in California where the kid that got busted, got convicted, his sentence allowed him to do more than had he not been convicted. It was bizarre. Um, yeah. But there's just there's so many variables with that, and I think that that's one of the things, you know, I'm, you're right in the sense of where you were at, the law was very clear. You did not have a defense against your case. The only answer you would have possibly had would be a jury nullification campaign, and you would have needed a tremendous amount of local support to bring that about, which is very difficult. And, you know, we've accomplished it in Kansas uh, with great success one time, and we've accomplished it in California a few times on a hung jury. Um, but every time there was a tremendous amount of support present, and it, I don't know how you could accomplish it any other way. So, frankly, I think you, you did the wisest thing, the only thing that you really could have done. Um, the stakes are really high. When anybody decides that they want to take their case to trial, and this is why it's so important to stand by these people, what's at stake tends to be increased by at least tenfold of what would happen in a, in a plea deal. So let's just say that they offered you, you know, a year probation or seven years probation. If you were to lose in trial, that seven years would have been hard time um, or more, you know, and that's just yeah. what they hold against you. And, and you know, oftentimes if you decide you want to, take it to trial, they'll add charges to you just to make it even worse. And they have all kinds of tricks and, 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 and ways to, to put pressure to you. So we always say it's very important to get engaged um, with our organization or another organization that does what we do, but I don't know of any that really does what we do. Educate yourself. Um, you need to be the one in control of your case. Your lawyer is not going to do it for you. I don't care who he is and how much you pay him. You have to be the one driving this, and if you don't, um, you'll end up in a situation where you didn't get what you would have thought you should have. And even when you are active, sometimes that happens to some degree. But, Albert, you did, you know, perform well. You and I were in contact through the whole case. You had support out here. You were involved. You, you uh, uh, participated in the show when your case was going on. We didn't have a lot of members in Oklahoma, but at least you were able to team up with, uh, you know, Norma is one of the uh, powerhouses out there in Oklahoma. She's working hard, and Jessica Saunders and a, a few others. We have a, a small little team of people that are out there trying to get work done, but mostly they're 
they're working on the legalization end of things, but they are um, able and willing, and they do stand up for people that do have cases. So we do support our uh, our, our sister uh, alliances out there. Well, um, is there yeah, anything I, else that you wanted to bring into this conversation? I think we covered a lot fairly quickly, and I, I didn't gobble up all the time I thought, but we only have a few more minutes of the show, and I do need to give Tom Corby a chance. Yes, I, that, that was it for me, Joe. Thank you so much. This was great. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate uh, being, being succinct with this. I did want to make sure that we covered everything, and I always welcome you to come back on. And now that you're going to be our, our uh, ambassador in Hawaii, I'm, I'm excited, um, and I look forward to talking to you um, with the rest of the team. And I'll get with you later on, and we'll set an appointment to talk to the uh, rest of the executive directors. So, uh, we can we can you know get you a little bit more trained and a little bit uh, um, make this all official. Excellent. I look forward to it. Thanks again, Joe. All right. Thank you very much again, Albert Thomas from Hawaii. Previously from Oklahoma. All right. We got just enough time for Tom Corby and the NorCal report, and uh, we'll be able to close this thing down just about on time. Tom Corby, welcome to the show. You are live. Uh, thank you, Joe, Becca, Mary, and we must not forget Party Radio Show for another historical show. First uh, comes to my mind was advocation and discovery. What's that say? And they want us to talk about our case up here in NorCal, Butte County, which Joe knows what very well, and I want to thank you, Joe, and your entourage for coming up for our third and I think our fifth free trial up here. And <clears throat> I've been talking about my friend Toby Williams. He checked in earlier with Mary, and when we Donna and I got out of jail after four days. We didn't we didn't think we were going to make it. Uh, if you haven't been through this, you know as well, why are we here? So other folks don't have to go through it, especially our children and our grandchildren. I have a 28-year-old granddaughter and daughter, and we all use our cannabis, and it's a sacred medicine, by the way. Toby came uh, after we got out of jail and got home, and thank God. And what did he have? And I'd like to expound on this. I think it's one of the most important things is to have a white pad and be writing. I just don't get why people don't. And even in the courtrooms, they don't want you talking. It says up on the wall, no talking. They say they want you to write, and they're going to be wondering what you're writing. So what did he have in big words up there? And first of all, he was advocating thanks thankfully and thank you joe for advocating for so many he had big words on that and he said and it said discovery he said tom and donna and we've known toby williams and angel williams boswell williams for many years been part of our collective here and uh we've been growing with them and they're master growers also he said this is so important. 
They have all this against you, and the first thing you get in your discovery is your police report, and you must find out exactly what's against you before you can even work your case. Thank Dan Levine for coming for us in the very first courts of Fort for Days. Way back when, Joe. Now, so I hear I, uh, he said, so uh, to get back to what Toby said is so important. He says, they have all that, they have all this against you when you start working your, when you start working your case and he helped us and so many helped us. Uh, you're going to find out that most of, most of this is BS and uh, uh, they're, all they're looking for, they're going to throw so much at you. We were up for $360,000 bail. Can you imagine? Took everything we had, closed all our bank accounts, took all our beautiful medicine that was already harvested in jars and 68 beautiful jars, and that's what they do. They actually are stealing our medicine, and we're catching some of them. And we always say, follow the money. Uh, so, and he said, when you start building your case, what you're doing, Right here, folks, and we appreciate you, defendants, coming in here and sharing your case. How else can we help you? And when you do that, and we court support, it's so important. That's how we can build it. With and uh, the new calendar is a little bit, a little bit harder for me. You got to have the email, and it's. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm just going to jump in the middle here. I see that I, uh, right away. I Ray Sharp talked about his case of court enforcement, uh, about ready to get it to the calendar. I got to see him uh, and, uh, at 1030 uh, a.m. Uh, he's filing a motion uh, for for new counselor, uh, Charnel James, who you've heard, and he does civil, has dropped his case, uh, says that he calls too much. Come on. So we're going to hope that uh, that that day, uh, 10.30 a.m., uh, and that's uh, October 13th, uh, and that's at 1775 Concord Street. And that's actually in Chico, not here in Oroville, because it's civil. So we always ask folks, uh, local court supports always requested, as Joe said, and we'll come a long way. When, when they put that jury, and you let us know, we'll try to be there. Uh, no matter. Joe, oh my God, I pulled an old calendar out, and I, what the first thing I see is Joe G. Appellate Court. Way back in 2014, here February of 2014, you went to an appellate court hearing. Then I see down here on the 25th, right behind you, Corby, unexpected hearing. That's us. What was that? Oh my God. I look over the next page, Mark. Now we're all the Pisces in March. And I see Joe G again. Uh, Joe G gets new trial. What's it say? He already won a trial. Well, you know, they can appeal. So can you. I'll just cut to the chase. Joe goes back. I don't know how many hearings. Went back to jail a couple more times. And we were coming down. And he pushed him to trial. And that's what we expound on. It pushes a trial, take them on the trial. You can't do it if you do it. So we're getting ready for court support. Oh, and he goes to some little hearing. He didn't know if he's going to go back to jail or not. And what did they do? Because 
He came and stood his ground. They dismissed his case. Uh, then I see uh, Corby at 8.30 a.m. two days later in, in uh, Butte County and uh, how we were fighting our case. And I think that's so important. The court support, uh, get your discovery. Uh, we always say when we meet new, uh, new defendants, uh, we'll work the case 50-50 with you. No one knows your case better than you. Uh, and we always ask folks, too, uh, if you can write a, uh, a statement, start writing a statement out, everything that happened to you. And as Joe brought out, these letters are so important. Uh, you, 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 we ask you to get these uh, statement letters out and uh, get them to the judge. Because when you go up against a judge, he really doesn't know your case. All he's hearing is from the DA, basically, and the PD, and the pre Actually, a PP, a public pretender. Uh, we're working with the DAs. Come on. We know that. We know that public defenders make three times as much as soon as they deal you out. Think about that. Colby told me that, too. That's what they're going to make. try to make you a deal. And they're gonna, the deals keep getting sweeter, sweeter, sweeter. And that's what you do. Keep pushing them on to trial. Uh, also, uh, I'm sure you've heard the update on Heidi Lab. Uh, Joe and I, and then he go way back with Heidi. Uh, he's also an, uh, uh, she could be a legal, a paralegal. We're all legal strategists. We're not attorneys, but we could, uh, and, uh, came twice for us here. Helped us with your case. Uh, wouldn't take a penny. I know there's another side, all of us. Uh, I don't think anybody could be throwing this first stone. Uh, I, I think you heard it's been out there on Facebook and on the news that Heidi left and uh, busted and arrested, and she's in uh, Sacramento County Jail with 12 under def- other defendants. And it looks like, Joe, we might be going to court for down the sack again. Uh, I want to thank everybody. Uh, all those on the front line coming together to end prohibition. No one should be going to jail for a sacred plant and come join us and be the solution. Uh, Donna would always say, uh, don't forget to breathe. I get many comments on, uh, on Willie at the end and honor to have Willie Nelson as a member of the Human Solution. And I'm ready to listen to Willie now again. Thank you all. And don't forget to breathe. All right. Thank you so much, Tom Corby. And I'm going to have one final statement to make before Willie gets his chance to talk. It is very important for you to realize people come to me all the time. Are you going to support that person? Do you know what they did? Do you going to support that person? Do you know what they did? Let me tell you something. When I was going through my case, there was a guy. I'm not even going to give his name. He had a federal case going on. This guy was an asshole an arrogant son of a bitch. But he was going through a case that he didn't deserve. His case is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about that guy. It's not about that lady. It's about ending prohibition and standing up for what's right. This guy never came for me. He actually at one point wrote an article while I was in the middle of my case accusing me of things, which was all bullshit. But I still came to his hearing, and I would have gone to his trial if he wouldn't have taken a plea deal. 
And it's important for you to realize, no matter who you are, you're going to have somebody that says, well, they didn't do it right. You know who they did. I don't care what they did. If their charges are cannabis, you got to consider it could be you, it could be somebody you know, and not everything that they say is necessarily true. It's not for me to judge what somebody else did, but it is for me to judge that bad laws need to be supported from our side. They need to be opposed, and we need to do the right thing every single time, whether we like this person or not, and that's what the coalition is and I challenge every single person who doesn't like a defendant to stand up for them because it could very well be you and it could be very well be somebody you love. And thank you, everybody, for making this show amazing once again. And uh, we'll let Willie close the show down. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the human solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. You were always on my